Welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church, Kannapolis, North Carolina. As senior pastor, Dean Hunter shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. If you found Genesis 22, this is, uh, as a pastor or preacher, it's always kind of odd to say, this is one of my favorite yet most intriguing, confusing passages of Scripture in all the Bible. If you want to stand as we honor God's Word, it is worthy of honor. Man, I read something this morning. Somebody sent me, and I shouldn't have read it yet, and then it's like, well, I need to change my message. Um, It's crazy that we're in a day where churches and pastors are trying to figure out if Scripture is uh, not only inspired in God's word, but whether it's sufficient. And um, it is. This is the word of God. It's absolute truth. It's good for doctrine. That's teaching. It's good for reproof. It's good for correction, instruction, and in all righteousness. It is the, the word of God breathed out to us, and we should treat it as such. It is sufficient for every need we have. We need to have a relationship with God and his word. That was my sermon. (laughs) Genesis 22. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8, but then we're going to really look at the other verses through 14 later. If you're new to church, i got to say this. If you're new to church, and I mean that seriously, if if you're not one that knows the Word of God, you've never heard Genesis 22, you're going to be taken back a little bit by this, and hopefully I can help us as we all grow together in this. But this is, this is not something you see regularly in Scripture. For those of you who've never been to a Baptist church or to a Christian church, don't think this is the way it works. This is an anomaly, a little different. I'll feel better. And it came to pass after these things, there's a lot of things to happen, that God did tempt, he tested Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and Abraham said, behold, here am I, here I am. And he said, take now thy son, your only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will show you or tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave or split the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went into the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, it was a long trip by foot, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, abide here, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spoke unto Abraham his father and said, My father. Abraham said, Here am I, son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. 
So they went, both of them, together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, what a powerful, different passage of Scripture this is. May we learn today from your word, from your Holy Spirit, just what this passage is all about. May we be reminded as believers what took place to make our salvation possible. May a lost person here today realize what you did to make their salvation possible. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Title this morning is pretty obvious The Test of Faith. Now, if I wanted to say it a little more specifically, I would say it this way The Test of Faith. No doubt Abraham had had many tests of his faith. The book of Hebrews, chapter 11, the Hall of Faith chapter, Abraham's mentioned a couple times as a man of faith. And it was accounted unto him righteous. He was a righteous man of great faith, which is why he ended up in Hebrews chapter 11. No doubt he had had test after test after test. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, I preached, and I don't know why this is happening. Maybe it's for me, but hopefully it's for more than me. I've preached this now, my third message that involves faith. We talked about the, the legacy of faith that we want to leave for our children and our grandchildren. We preached a few weeks ago about um, living by faith and how without faith it's impossible to please God. And, and maybe, it's, maybe it's for me as much as anybody or just for me. I don't know. I hope some of the residue rubs off on some people and it helps us all out. But as this world, as this country as this anti-Christ culture spirals out of control and gets worse and worse and worse, and it is, we believers, we call ourselves believers for a reason, we believe, we have faith, and we've got to, our faith is gonna be put to the test. We're gonna see and experience things that we never thought we would and certainly never hoped we would. We're going we're gonna to have questions thrown at us, and our flesh and our mind and the antichrist of the world are going to hurl things our way to test us and in some ways tempt us. And I believe, I believe, you don't have to agree with this, that God knows the future, and I believe he knows what we're headed for, and I believe he knows that our faith is going to be tested. I thought it was getting good, and then you kind of died down like you didn't believe that. <laughs> but my Bible teaches that as we grow closer and closer to the second coming of Christ, the pressure is going to be increased and the fire is going to get hotter. And we're going to find out, everybody listening, we're going to find out who is and who isn't born-again believers. Because there's going to be many falling away. Many giving up and quitting. Didn't mean they lost their salvation. It means they never had it. That's what the Bible teaches. 
So as believers, I believe, Scripture teaches that we're going to be tested by God. It's important for introduction to clarify, God never tempts. So is that your opinion? No, that's the Bible's opinion. The Bible says clearly in the book of Hebrews, that, um, that in the book of James, that God does not tempt. Let no man say when he's tempted, he's tempted of God, because God cannot be tempted with evil, neither does he tempt any man. God's not in the business of tempting us, but he is in the business of testing us, testing our faith. Why? Because the tests are gonna get harder and harder. Now, I know some of our kids are out of school, and this is going to bring back some bad memories. And some of us have been out of school a long time and don't even like to think about the day when we were in school. But there were this, well, let me say, there used to be a such thing as test in school. <laughs> um, that meant something. And I'm trying to buffer right now so I don't say a few things that I shouldn't and just give opinions that have nothing to do with Genesis 22. But when we used to be tested on what we were taught to prove that we knew what we were taught, occasionally our favorite teachers would have pop quizzes. <laughs> I'm not talking about the ones today. Hey, get out your books, get out your notes, ask a friend, get in groups together and let's take this quiz. I'm not talking about the kumbaya quizzes of today. <laughs> I'm talking about the ones to where you weren't prepared, you hadn't paid attention for two weeks, you didn't take notes, and the teacher says, hey, pop quiz today, and you immediately, your blood pressure went up, and you started sweating profusely, and you thought, I'm going to fail, my parents are going to kill me. Yeah. See, that's the good old days yeah. of school. <laughs> today, oh, you made a 32? Well, we'll round up to 60, because we don't want you to fail. Or let's take it until you make the grade you want to keep. No, it's not everybody's like that, I know. But I kind of feel like that's what God does. He's given us these tests. The purpose of a pop, test by, pop quiz, by the way, shouldn't have been because a teacher hates your guts and wants you to be miserable. I felt like I had a few of those. If you came in one day and you looked like you were unprepared, pop quiz. Hurt everybody's feelings. But the purpose of a pop quiz, or a quiz in general, was to incrementally test what you knew. Because we knew a bigger test was coming. No teacher, by the way, my wife, I live with one, so I gotta be careful. No teacher, no good teacher, is sitting there like the wicked witch of the West saying, I hope they all fail. <laughs> they want you to pass. Because it really reflects on them. So they want you to pass. Good teachers do. So the idea was, so that you don't forget what you've done all semester or all quarter, you know a bigger test is coming. The pop quiz has 10 or 15 questions, but the final exam is going to have 120. And that, in my opinion, is a very elementary way of saying, God tests us and tests our faith incrementally because a bigger test is coming. And some of you, quite frankly, have faced a test that I never want to face. And you've passed. But all of us are going to face some tests as this world, as this show winds down. 
And how unfortunate, and I gotta say this, and this is kind of probably gonna sound mean, that we have people hopping in and out of church, belly aching, whining, and crying over the most inconsequential, silly things that don't even come close to what a real test is. And for us to think they're born again, and for us to shepherd them like they're little baby sheep, knowing that when a real test comes, they're gone. Now our churches are full of people who are quitting on church and quitting on God over silliness that has nothing to do with the test of faith. It's important to know that you're born again and to have faith me and Pastor Barry Lemon did not get together. I don't think I've spoken to any pastoral staff other than a group text all week on purpose. Because <laughs> that's how much I love them. No, I'll quite honestly, I do love them, which is a good thing. I think. But when they go on vacation, I try not to bother them. It's just a practice I've done. Um, unless we have to. And I think they've Felt the love. We didn't get together and say, let's sing about faith. But it is important to understand faith. This text that I've read that I haven't forgot about is an important text. In the Hebrew, and I'm not a Hebrew scholar, by the way, but this is interesting. It's known as the Hebrew word akeda or akeda. I'm not going to try to hawk something out and say it. Some of you would like for me to do that. But the word means the binding the binding. Abraham had made, God had made Abraham a covenant with Abraham. He continues, if you were to read Genesis from the time God makes a covenant with Abraham, you'll see in some of your study Bibles will say, basically God recommits. I'm not sure that's the technical term that we should use because it sounds like God kind of messed up and redid something, but it's, it's, in my mind, it's God doubling down. It's God reconfirming. When God makes a covenant and makes a vow, he doesn't break it. God is faithful to do what he said he's going to do. It may not look the way we thought it was going to look. And it may not plan out the way we thought it would plan out. But God will be faithful. And over and over, Abraham has the covenant with God that God has made to him reconfirmed. Even when Abraham messed up. Now that's, that's an extra 25 minutes preaching that you don't want to hear. But God had promised Abraham a son. Rewind. God, rewind for you. God had promised Abraham a country, a nation to bless him. He's old and his wife's old too. You can't have a nation without having a kid. He didn't have a kid. I'm, I'm saving a lot of time in my notes here, so y'all just look like this and it'll help us out. God had come and said, hey, I'm gonna bless you and make you a nation. I'll bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. It's the Abrahamic covenant and Abraham's sitting here saying, I ain't got no children and I'm old. And look at her. No, he didn't say, he said, she's old too. <laughs> and God said, no, I'm gonna do it. And to fast forward through the cliff notes of Genesis, Abraham got tired of waiting. And his wife did. And they devised a plan. 
to have a child, not by Sarah, his wife, but by her handmaid. I'm I'm speeding over this, but this is important to history, what happens. We are dealing with the consequences of what happened here. When Abraham had a son, Ishmael, from Hagar. That That was his human, that was humanity's way of I'll fix the problem because God's not doing it. I think we can all agree that's probably not the right way to go. God promised, well, let me help him out. Now, if we're honest, we we all fall into that category, right? God said he was going to do it, but man, this is taking forever. He needs my help. So let me get involved. You see, we can't really do that unbiasedly. Have y'all figured that out? Okay, so anyway, so they have Ishmael and um, what seemed to be a great plan, because what husband and wife wouldn't get together and say, you know what? Y'all know this. Y'all have to go back and read this so you understand. This was not gonna work out. Yeah, they produced a son and lived happily ever after. No, I think... Sarah got to thinking about what had happened and didn't like it. And they had a family meeting and said, you know, this kid's got to go. There's a lot wrong with this. There's a lot, a lot, a whole lot of application to today's families, quite honestly. You know, people say, well, this will work. We can live with this. We can do this, and it'll be all right. But no, nah, though, it keeps, keeps on coming up. And you live with the consequences. And finally, they said, She said, Ishmael's got to go. I have to say this because I know the word of God and you know the story. Um, God did still bless Ishmael. Uh, And there's a ton of application, a ton of truth there. He didn't, it wasn't his fault he was born. And that's, I have to stop there. But what happened in that situation has haunted the world to this day. And still does. The division between Islam and Christianity is a result of what happened when they made a decision to help God out. Of course, eventually, God recommits, reconfirms, I'm going to bless you. And he has a son, Isaac. This son is the promised son. This is important. He's the covenant son. He's the son by which all the nation will be blessed. He's the son, actually some texts refer to him as the only begotten son. He was the only official son. Now just just for information purposes, Abraham could have made Ishmael an official son. There There was a way to do it. Now, he would have still never been Sarah's son, but he could have adopted him officially, and he would have been into the family as the firstborn, but he never did, which is a good thing, because Isaac was the official covenant son who God gave to the two parents he said he was going to give them to, give him to, Abraham and Sarah. So even after they laughed at God, Even after they doubted that God knew what he was talking about, 
Sarah had a son. The son. The only son. The covenant son. Y'all hear this repeated? Ishmael has his packing bags and papers and he is sent. He is no longer in the picture. There is one son and mom and dad. He's the covenant chosen son that God would bless Abraham through and make great nations out of him, more in number than the stars. This is Father Abraham had one son. Y'all don't know that verse, right? That's the prequel to Father Abraham. Father Abraham had only one son, and his name was Isaac, and that's it. See, it doesn't, run, it doesn't go together, so we don't have that one. But he didn't have many sons until he had one son. And Isaac was it. He was the only begotten son. Nearly 20 years goes by. He's the son. He's the chosen son. And now at about 20 years of age, Genesis 22 creeps up on us. And God says to Abraham, here's the test. The test is about Abraham's faithfulness, love, commitment, fear of God. I've got some extra notes I threw in this morning. I don't know if we can handle them. But God does test us for reasons. I'm not going to bore you with that. But God has purposes for testing us. And it's for our greater good. He will test us many times to purify our faith. He will test us to perfect our character. Many times he will test us to protect us. And here he tests Father Abraham. And the purpose of the test is to find out something. The word test is not the word tempt. Matter of fact, any good study Bible, even a King James study Bible will say immediately test. It was a word that was used and thrown around, but it means to test. And it's not to test to, to really test to, to see how much you know. Uh, the word test there is important to understand. The test is to prove quality. I love you, Lord. Prove it. Well, I'll do this. Okay, well, that was easy. I'll do this. Eh, a little harder. How about do this? Hmm. It's proving the quality of something. How much do you love me? Is what God asked. Jesus himself said, why do you say you love me and you don't do the things I say? No man can serve two masters. He'll love one and he hate the other. No man can serve God and mammon. How much faith do you have? Everybody hear the pop quiz ringing in their head? Yeah, I passed this one. Whew. Next one's going to be harder. Because it's the last pop quiz and the next pop quiz material. And it gets greater and greater. Some of you are a little older than me, and you've had more tests. And you've 
proven to God. You're faithful to him. You love him. You're committed to him. I have to say this because this is really, really important because I think in church a lot of times we, we say we're being tested of God and it's some silly situation we got into that God has nothing to do with. So we got to understand this principle that I'm about to share. Abraham is doing what God told him to do. Abraham is right in the center of the will of God. He's not out living his best life like the prodigal. The prodigal son could not find himself in a pig pen eating slop and say, boy, God has sure given me a test. Now, he can say that, but he made the decision to get there. He was not in the will of God. He was within the sovereignty and providence of God, but he was not doing what God called him to do. I feel like we need to plow down here because we many times blame God for something spiritual and we are a million miles away from God's will for our life. Now, I believe he'll use it and I believe he's sovereign and you didn't surprise him by taking that left turn when he wanted you to go right. But here, here's why I messed up my sermon. But the, the third point, the provision that God has in store for you was when he said go right. But now you're going to hear of taking a left and end up with a tire off in the ditch. And you say, oh, God is testing me. Now you messed up. You messed up. Everybody with me? Y'all following me? That doesn't mean you wouldn't have taken a right and still lost the tire and ended up in the ditch. But there might have been somebody coming by with an extra tire and a, and a lug wrench and a jack. That was the whole third point, and y'all didn't even like it. Where's one and two? I don't know. Look at three quick realities in this text. The promise of Abraham's future. I've already covered it. Abraham had a promised future. God said, I'm gonna give you a land, take off and go. Genesis chapter 12. Y'all know this. It was just a few weeks ago we preached, I preached it. Hey, go to a land, I'll show you. All right, pack up, Sarah, let's go. Where are we going? Don't know. That's a promise of a future. But we understood that he couldn't have a future and promise of a nation without a promise of a son. And so in Genesis chapter 17, he promised a son. Now he's had a son, and now we're in Genesis 22. So we see the promise of Abraham's future. God had promised this is going to happen. Church, God's made a lot of promises. Some of you got books all over your house. God's little promise book for puppies or whatever. God makes promises to puppies too because he loves all the little animals of the world. You've got them in your bathroom, you got them on your nightstand, you got them in the kitchen, you got them everywhere. Promises, promises, promises. Do we believe it or not? A promise is a promise. And if God made a promise, he will do it. It may not be how we wanted it, but he'll keep his promise. And so God made a promise to Abraham. He's going to keep his promise one way or the other. Then we see here in this chapter the proof of Abraham's faith. 
How is Abraham going to prove that he is a man of faith? God is commanding. All through my notes, I wrote the word asking, and then I thought, I don't think God's asking. I think he's commanding. And, and maybe it means nothing to you, but I think sometimes, well, God is asking me to do something I just don't know if I can do. And that's just so messed up theologically and spiritually because he would never ask you to do something he didn't expect you to do, and he would never ask you to do something he didn't give you the ability to do. So maybe God's commanding him to do something just like he commands me to do something. It's not like God, hey, you know, Abraham, will you do me a favor? <laughs> that would be a little different text. No, go to a place I'll show you in Moriah and sacrifice your son. How will Abraham prove his faithfulness? To God. To the natural man, this makes no sense. To a 49-year-old father of two, I can't hardly ever read it without getting emotional. It's something so out of the ordinary, especially if you only had one. God had promised to bless you and your family and nations from that one. It makes no sense. And how many times in our life does God tell us to do something that makes no human sense? The answer is often. How are you going to do this, God? Or how am I going to do this? Just do it. Just do what I told you to do. Now, there's, a, there's another sermon within this sermon that I'm going to fold right here one page and put a little bookmark and say this. As a Christian, as a believer, we need to be so close to God that we're constantly talking to him, and he's constantly talking to us. Abraham was not out living his best life, doing what his flesh wanted to do, and God said, well, let me, let me jump down and do something great out of this man. No, he was faithful to God. He was serving God. He was worshiping God. This might hurt your feelings, and I hope it does, and I hope it helps. God wants to use those who are faithful to him. Now, he'll use you, but he's going to do a work in your life if you're not living in his will. God speaks to those who are serving him. God gives those who are serving him faithfully big jobs to do. Now, that, that creates quite a dilemma, doesn't it? Well, how much do I want God to do with me? Maybe I'll just be a little so-so Christian, and he'll only ask me to do so-so things. If, you're, if, if that's the thought that went in your mind, now's a good time to bow your heart and bow your head and have a little talk with Jesus. I'm serious. Because that's a natural human thought. That's not a spiritual, supernatural thought. So, well, you know, if I just don't serve God fully, he might not ask me to do anything crazy. That's not how a believer responds. It's not how a faithful believer responds. That's not how a spiritual, faithful believer responds. 
a faithful spiritual believer, when God says, Dean says, here am I. Verse one, here am I. I gotta throw this in. In Genesis, we're there. In Genesis one, two, three, when Adam and Eve were not living the way they should, the conversation sounded a little different, didn't it? It wasn't Adam and Eve, here we are, God. No, it was, where are you? (laughs) Two different conversations, two different places in life, two different results. But when we're with him, and when we're serving him, and when we're where we ought to be, he can say, Eric, and you say, here I am, not, oh, I didn't think you knew where I was. And that's what a Christian wants. That's the peace. That's the assurance. That's the comfort. Not that God's looking for me, but that he knows where I am. And here I am. The proof of Abraham's faith. Notice what Abraham does. Verse three. We already read it. This blows my mind. So Abraham got up early in the morning. Yep, that part blows my mind, just in general. But he got up early in the morning. God had just told him the night before, the day before, to sacrifice your only son, the son of promise, the son of blessing, the covenant son. I wouldn't have slept a wink. I get less sleep for a lot less stress. He's up early, making preparation. Not a thought, not a second thought, not a let me figure this out, not a family meeting with Sarah. She'd already got him in trouble one time, maybe you learned, but anyway. So, no, we're not gonna, we're not gonna, you know, I've got something coming up, but I don't think I need your opinion this time. So, that's not good marriage practice, I'm just saying. I don't think. Now, I don't know if she even knew this was happening, quite honestly. I don't think she would have let it happen. Not that she wasn't spiritual, but she was a mom. So that's that's extra. I don't think that matters. He gets up early, but here's the thing he does. He does exactly what God's told him to do. The answer to the proof of Abraham's faith is this. Immediate obedience. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you want to be a disciple, drop the nets and come follow me. Abraham rises up early. He immediately obeys. The proof of his faith is obedience. He gets up. The idea of getting up early is And it's in a weird way is the idea that he is eager to do this. Not eager in a fleshly, carnal way, but eager to please God. I didn't. Some of y'all carnal people are, oh, it pleases God to get up early. I didn't say that because I ain't found a verse yet. (laughs) But no, he's ready to do it. The Bible says that after three days they arrived at Mount Moriah. By the way, Mount Moriah is where the Dome of the Rock is now. How weird and ironic is the fact 
that one of the holiest Muslim shrines in the world is on the place where this event happened. That's just a coincidence. Some of you are waiting for me to give some answer for what that means. It means that that thing's coming down one day. And it ain't going to come down peacefully. It won't be a, hey, let's get together and have a ribbon cutting for tearing down the Dome of the Rock and build a temple. The Bible says it took him three days to get there. On the third day, he's going to sacrifice. And it, there's nothing in the text that says this, but can you imagine the conversation? Can you imagine Abraham, his son Isaac, and two helpers walking for two and a half days, and I, Abraham knowing every step what's about to happen? I don't know. But I know everything I think of makes me want to cry. Because I think they're talking about things that sons and dads talk about. But knowing that Abraham was being faithful to what God had said. Listen to what verse 5 Abraham says. This is the proof of his faith. And I hope this is helping. How do we know? Well, we know because he's walking to the mountain with his son. But listen in verse five, when they get there, they find the place and he tells the young men, the other two, stay here. Isaac and I are going to worship, which that's a whole sermon. But I like the last part he says. We're gonna come back to you. I hope you've noticed that before. What faith that Abraham says he knows he's going to sacrifice his son. But we're going to come back to you. Now, some of you immediately are asking, did he know that or is he just a man of faith? I think the answer is yes. Hebrews chapter 11 in the hall of faith where it points out Abraham leaving his country and going to find a country that he didn't know, also in verses 17 through 19 gives us the answer. This is a mind blower. Y'all ready? It might be on the screen. You're excited, right? By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, tested, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promise offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said by God that Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting his reasoning, his rationale, his belief was that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. Abraham was such a man of faith he was planning to sacrifice his son, but had faith that God would raise him. He hadn't read John 17, 18, and 19 yet. There hadn't been a lot of resurrecting going on in Abraham's day. But he had that kind of faith that God, if he sacrificed him, would raise him from the dead. He continues on showing his faith. He took the wood from the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac, took the fire in his hand, book of matches, I'm sure, and a knife, and they both went together. Abraham is legitimately preparing to sacrifice his son. In verse 7, Isaac finally speaks up. By the way, 
I've studied this. I think you probably know that. I think you probably hope I have studied this or read behind other people. People don't know what they're talking about. No. And there's a lot of opinions that are just that, opinions about Isaac. I, I'm not going to really go one way or the other. But Isaac hasn't said a lot until now. Now, he may have spoken, but he hasn't said a lot until now. now. He's seen this before. He knows about animal sacrifice. As a matter of fact, Abraham and the Israelites or the, the nation knew about human sacrifice because this is what the other religions did. They would sacrifice their children to little g-gods as a way to demonstrate their commitment to that God. This was unusual, but God said do it. So they understood the logic or the illogical logic of this. But in verse 7, Abraham, or Isaac says to Abraham, he's starting to do the math. Behold, you've got the fire, you've got the wood, but where's the lamb? And I've said a lot, but I want you to hear, and I want it to, to find a place to, to store what, away what I'm about to say. Abraham's answer is the answer of the faithful when facing uncertainties while obeying God. His answer is, and our answer should be, to our son, to our daughter, to our wife, to our husband, to our friends, to our coworkers, when we are where we're supposed to be, doing what God has called us to do, but yet we are uncertain of how it's going to happen, our answer should always be, God will provide. Don't know how, but he will. That's faith. It's not some random, let me grab a little cloud of faith and hold on to it. It's the faith of a person who is submitted to God with the peace and confidence of knowing that he or she is doing exactly what God has told them to do. In verse 9, they came to the place. Abraham built the altar. Bound Isaac, his son. There's a lot of question about how that happened. And laid him on the altar. Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay or kill his son. He's going through with it. This is not, God's going to get me out of this. Matter of fact, Paul said in Romans, or Paul talked about it in Romans, but James says he believed he would resurrect him. He had a plan to kill him because God told him to. But had faith that God would handle it. He's going to do this. But then we see the promise of Abraham's, or the provision of Abraham's faith. We know how this happens. We've read it. If we've been in church a while, we know it. But just at the right time, God intervened. Verse 11 says, Then the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. Sounds like what he said in verse 1. Here I am. 
I, I hope y'all don't miss this. In verse one, Abraham's so close to God, he could say, here I am. And in verse 11, even in a weird situation, he is still so close to God, he says, here I am. He's exactly where God told him to be, doing exactly what God told him to do, and he says, here I am. The Bible says, in verse 11, it's the angel of the Lord. This is a whole different conversation, but this is not just some random, naked, winged, fat, chubby angel. I had to say that extra special because at Pastor Appreciation this year, someone gave me a ceramic, short, stumpy, fat, baby angel. <laughs> naked baby angel. And it's in my home office right now looking at me while I study. And I feel the blessings of it all the time. This is not just any angel. This is the messenger of the Lord. The words mean the messenger of Yahweh. It's the same thing we see in Exodus chapter three when Moses is standing on holy ground with a fiery bush burning but not being consumed. You know who this is? This is God himself. God shows up and says, stop. I've made provision. You don't have to do this. You were about to do it. You were right where I told you to be, doing exactly what I told you to do. And then just coincidentally, he hears something rustling in the bushes. A sacrifice, a ram. God provided for Abraham the sacrifice. He says unto him, after verse 11, here I am. Now I know you fear me. Now I know you fear God. Now, I've got so many questions that will never be answered. But I wanted to say, was there not a better way? But that's just me. Is there not a different way? But he didn't ask that. And he's not me. And that's a good thing because we wouldn't have this in Genesis 22 probably. I, I think there's something important we have to see that not only was Abraham where he was supposed to be, but God provided for him where he was at. And I hate to bring up a Tim McGraw song, but not a moment too soon. Which is a principle of faith, that God provides when it's needed. I remember the old song, One Day at a Time, Sweet Jesus. I, I think it must have been a good song. I don't like to hear it anymore because I heard it a thousand times every other week somehow, I don't know. So I have PTSD over it, but... The idea is that we, we travel by faith and not by sight. And I know myself and some of you good enough to know that if God gave you the provision two weeks before you needed it, we'd probably mess it up. But he did it exactly when he needs it. We've turned this phrase into a cliche in the church where God guides, he provides, but it's exactly biblical teaching. God does provide where he guides. And if that's true, the opposite must also be true. If you're somewhere you're not supposed to be, there's no promise of his provision. But if he tells you to go somewhere and you follow what he said to do, he will do it. When it's needed. 
Y'all remember this, I, I come to this often. It's fascinating and it's scary at the same time. Jesus at the height of his ministry, everybody's wanting to follow him. There's cool, hey, all the cool kids are following Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. And uh, he's, he had a way of sorting them out, right? And in one passage of scripture, he's, he's got his followers, he's got his disciples, and they're all like, hey, I want to follow you. And he's like, hey, come follow me. Take up your cross, follow me. And they're like, hey, I want to follow you, but uh, I'm, I'm working out this deal on some land right now, and I got to go, it's like an open house. And I, he's like, hey, we don't got time for that. Follow me or not. And they went and did the open house. That's a different version, but you get the point. Um, hey, I want to follow you. And he's like, hey, come follow me. Drop it all. Come follow me. And he says, yeah, my dad's funeral's today. Got to get to the funeral. Let the dead bury their dead. Come follow me. What? No man that's ever put his hand to the plow and turns around is fit for the kingdom of God. Don't have time for that. Come follow me. Jesus said on another occasion that unless a man hate his mother and father, he's not worthy to be a disciple. Oh, you never heard that verse? Of course God doesn't want us to hate our parents. The point is that we are to love God supremely. When we love God supremely, the love for God in the world's terms looks like hatred toward man. I'm, I'm telling you, I wish you could all come up here and take a Polaroid right now. This is one of the hitches, hurdles, problems in the American church today. We haven't swallowed that fact. And it's hard preaching. But it's what Jesus said. No man can serve two masters. I think I've said that already. Now I know that you love me. The text says, now I know that you fear God. It means reverence. It's now I know that you are committed to me. Now I know that you love me, practically speaking, more than your only begotten son. Now I know that you love me more than the son of promise. Now I know that you love me more than the covenant son that I gave you. This is not a fairy tale. This really happened. And not only did this really happen, this is really what God, I almost said request, this is what God demands of his followers. Total submission, total love above all. Now, you don't have to answer. You don't have to swallow hard or say anything. But no man or woman in their right spiritual Physical, emotional, psychological mind sitting on the pews of American Baptist churches today, not the denomination American Baptist for you histories. No one in their right mind could tell me that everybody saying, Lord, Lord, feels this way about God. Yes. 
We, we got churches up, I mean, I got to stop. We're talking about everything under the sun. We're talking about serving our community, and we should. There's a lot of people in Baptist churches serving the community that God is not their Lord, and they don't love him supremely. Hey, and, and just, just in case you're confused about this, this doesn't mean you get a special place in heaven above those who don't. This means you're not going there if you don't. This is lordship salvation. This is him being lord of all. And Abraham, father Abraham, father of many nations, blessed by God, is tested in a way no one in here would volunteer to be tested. No one in here would want their worst enemy to be tested the way this guy was tested. And God said, God said it, now I know you love me. Now I know you reverence me. Now I know you fear me. Of course, God provided. And we know when I say we, those of us have been in church for a minute, we know there's a lot more to this narrative. Isaac is a picture of Jesus. He is a type of Christ. I think, quite honestly, too much has been written about that and there's a lot of conjecture. I'll just leave it there, personally. But I do know that the ram in the thicket taking the place of Isaac on the altar is a perfect picture of Jesus' substitutionary atonement for you and I. We who are dead in our trespasses and sin deserve death. Because the Bible says the wages, the price for sin is death. And every one of us were born into sin. Every one of us were born separated from God because of our forefathers and foremothers, Adam and Eve. According to the scripture, we were born sinners separated from God and the price for that sin is death. Every man, woman, boy or girl who's ever been born deserves death because of who they are, a sinner. That's the bad news. But the good news is, while we were yet sinners, Romans 5, 8, Christ died, here's the word, for us. In the Genesis 22, God says, take the ram in the stead of Isaac. And the Bible says, Paul says very clearly in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that you and I might be made the righteousness of God. The good news of the gospel is only good news because we know the bad news. And the bad news is we were born sinners. And we were born guilty. And we were born separated from God. And unless we are reconciled to God, we will die a sinner 
and spend eternity in hell, separated from God forever. But God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Believes in him means to believe that he was the substitution for us, that he who knew no sin became sin for us, and sin died on the cross, and the consequences of sin died on the cross for whosoever will that will place their faith and trust in the substitution for our sin. Would you pray with me, Father? Thank you for your word. Certainly so much in this passage that's, that teaches us, that teaches believers, encourages believers, motivates believers. God, if I'm honest, I, I hate, I don't like having to preach the expectation of your love because it seems so different than what I believe churches expect today. It makes me cringe at how many people will miss heaven because they were playing the church game. They were just following the crowd. They were showing up, giving a dollar, saying their night prayers, and going through the motions. When your command is to love you above everything, God, may we receive this as your word and certainly not mine. Pray you convict hearts. Convict that church member who's maybe been playing the church game for 20 years, 30 years, 50 years. But it's just a cover-up. Maybe they didn't realize it, but they've never made you Lord. They've never trusted in you supremely. They've never prioritized you over everything else in our life. And I pray you convict hearts today. For those of us who know we're born again, challenge us as we're tested to pass the test, to prove our faith in a way you'd be pleased. While they're playing, no singing yet, I wanna challenge you to respond. Maybe you respond in a pew where you're at in prayer. If you're a believer and you know it and you're, I hope and pray that God's Holy Spirit and his word has kind of shook some of us today. If you're here today and you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, you've never been a, made a profession of faith as a believer, maybe today's the first time the Holy Spirit's convicted you. And you see yourself, not as I say or as the, the Baptist faith and message says, but as God's word says, lost and in need of a savior. Maybe today would be the day you trust him. Accept Jesus as the substitution for your sin. Make him Lord of your life. 
this passage resonates with me in so many ways. And if you're here, I'm just going to say it and I hope this comes out right. If you're here and you're a mom or a dad of a son or a daughter and this doesn't wake you up to what God expects, then you've either been asleep or you're so cold on God that you can't understand when he's speaking to you. Every father in this room, quite honestly, every father in this world ought to love their son to the point of laying down their own life. And I think every good dad in here would do just that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that's God's plan for you to love him, love that daughter. Quite honestly, when it comes to earth and this temporal life, I think every man ought to love their family over everything temporal. And I don't think God has a problem with that. But spiritually, we've got to love him more than we love anyone or anything. That's not a choice. That's not a good idea. That's not his humble opinion. That's his command. That he is first or he's not. That's where every believer is supposed to be. And I cringe, I honestly cringe at the thought of people sitting in church pews Sunday after Sunday that don't understand that. And people that are cruising down the church road thinking they're on their way to heaven and will miss it a million miles because of that truth. We're gonna sing, and I know this sounds like revival preaching, and I don't try to twist hands and arms and people to do something, but I'd hate for anybody to leave today without the peace and assurance that he's Lord. He's first in your life. Would you stand as we sing? If you need to do business with God at an altar, the altars are open. If you want to pray where you're at, certainly do that. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events, and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.